All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day just to be alive, courtesy of your grace. We know it's only because of your grace and mercy. Help us see the big picture and help each of us believe that we're here for a reason. And you have a plan and a purpose to the remainder of our time here on earth. Father, we thank you for your love and forgiveness. And we ask that you open our eyes this morning. Help us see with clear vision. Help us embrace your love and mercy as never before in our hearts. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that by his sacrifice, we can be saved for all eternity. Your forgiveness is overwhelming, Father. Help us never take these things for granted, but pass them on freely to others who need the same mercy. Give us the heart of your Son. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Again, our title is Hindering God's Love means hindering your sanctification. Obviously, hindering God's love is a very important topic, very serious issue. And I hope you're all concentrating and synthesizing the principles at home even. It can be a lot to reconcile in your own soul, depending on what you've been through in life as well. And if you're willingly humble, he will help you reconcile a lot of things. But as we're going to see, once again, humility is the key. From our main passage in Matthew 18 on forgiveness, we've gathered the following principle on the board. Forgiveness and mercy allows God's love to flow through us. And when we bottle it up, it is evil in God's sight. Go again to Matthew 18, verse 21. We're going to give this one last read. Especially, especially for those who weren't here during the week. Again, forgiveness and mercy allows God's love to flow through us. And when we bottle it up, it is evil in God's sight. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We've already been through the power of that very statement. 
And in this parable, forgiveness should have gone straight from the Lord to the slave, right to the second slave as well, in one fluid motion. But somebody was unwilling. The first slave held it back, getting selfish and greedy with his newfound freedom. How disgusting is that? When an ungrateful, unforgiving slave who is forgiven of everything doesn't forgive something small. But if we listen to our flesh and its desires, we do the same thing in our hearts. We've also talked about examining our own heart on this issue. On the board we saw on Thursday, are we living in pretense? You can pretend to forgive your brother or even say you forgive your brother but still harbor bitterness without God. Uh, you can't harbor bitterness without God knowing it. So are you living in pretense? Just something to think about. And if you struggle with this, or even when you struggle with this, get on your knees and go straight to your Heavenly Father. And please remember, His grace is new and fresh every morning. As hard as He would discipline us in verse 35, if we refuse to forgive our brother. His grace is new and fresh every morning to those that go to him in humility. So with that in mind, go to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. Lamentations three nineteen. Even if you're having trouble in this area, if you go to him with a humble heart, he's always ready to talk to you and guide you by his spirit. Lamentations 3.19. Remember, pages still turning, many pages still turning. I'm going to get a drink. Ready? Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. So again, the humble heart, God is never going to turn away, even if you're struggling with forgiveness. He wants to know that your heart wants to forgive. Instead of putting up a wall in your soul and being arrogant and stubborn and greedy, and we could go on and on. But he's always, always receptive to the humble heart. God's grace will always be there for you, so long as you humble yourself before him. Remember James 4, it says God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. This includes if you humbly ask for his assistance with forgiveness. Forgiveness, especially within the family of God, is an urgent issue to be addressed sooner than later after prayer. On the board, forgiveness is a truly urgent matter. And there aren't many things in life that are truly urgent, if we're honest. But this is one of them, because it hinders God's love. After all, it's His love we're stopping the flow of. Who the heck are we to get in the way of His love, which He already cast on you like a flood of mercy? How can we be possessive of His love once we receive it? And that after he freely poured it out on us in mercy. May that never be true about any of us. Go again to James 3.13. James 3.13. And this, this passage, we're going to read it again because it's talking about divine wisdom. Divine wisdom. And how that includes a gentleness of heart. And that includes forgiveness. James 3.13 Who among you is wise and understanding? 
Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, such as forgiveness. Full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The wise person in God's eyes goes out of their way to make peace, regardless of which side of the equation they're on, so long as it depends on them. That's what the wise believer does. And where, where do we harbor bitterness? In verse 14, we harbor bitterness in our hearts. So let's not allow that thing to fester because it's very unhealthy and it, it requires the discipline of God in our lives. So that's why the Lord ended his parable with, forgive your brother from your heart. Go to James 4, verse 6, since you're in James. James 4, verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Submit, therefore, to God. So many of our problems would be solved if we just submitted truly to his authority, to his word, to his commands. It's only arrogance that makes us miserable and keeps God against us. Submit, therefore, to God, even in regards to the command to forgive people. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, we're back to heart issues. And the heart is not pure when we hold back forgiveness because we're holding back God's love. So on the board, regarding forgiveness and the heart, God knows the heart. Always, regarding everything, God knows the heart. And whether we're surrendering or submitting, or whether we're pretending, maybe acting religious, who knows. So if you need to, repent from your heart and don't require God's discipline to come and correct you. We might summarize that forgiveness is a great example of allowing God's love to flow through us. And the question came up on Thursday, how does this work? What's the right way to forgive and even the right timing to forgive? What's the biblical way to do this thing? And Scripture does tell us regarding applying forgiveness. Forgiveness is a must if and when someone repents. Again, forgiveness is a must if and when someone repents. Luke 17, verses 3 through 4. This is even seen in Jesus' parable in Matthew 18, where the Lord was going to sell the slave and his family off, right? He owed him 10,000 talents, and the Lord was going to sell him off. And then the slave repented on his knees and said, be merciful to me, right? I'll pay you back. He, he repented. And then the Lord set him free, had compassion and set him free from that debt. So forgiveness is a must if and when someone repents. That's what we learn from this parable. And this reminds us on the board, repentance is such an important process in the soul. Not for the one doing the forgiving, but in the soul of the guilty party. Their soul must turn around 
to be healed. Really, that's what repentance means. It means to turn around from, from evil to good, from sin to righteousness. And it's a very real thing that happens in a person's heart if they're humble. So again, repentance is such an important process in the soul, before salvation and after salvation. Not for the one doing the forgiving, but in the soul of the guilty party. Their soul must turn around to be healed. Or think of it this way, admission of guilt is needed to be set free from it. Admission of guilt is needed to be set free from it. If you think about it, and this came up on Thursday from the Spirit, that's why repentance is even necessary before salvation. Repentance is necessary before salvation can take place. Unless a person repents of their sinfulness, they will not turn in humility to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. They will not turn to Him in their heart for forgiveness because they don't think there's any need necessarily. Or they're, you know, blocking that need out, right, willingly. I'm good, I'm a good person. They rationalize that things are okay in their life, rationalizing away sin. Whatever the reason, they're not admitting that they have a need to repent of anything. And how can someone truly turn to Christ from the heart to be saved if they don't think they need to be saved? So without repenting, a person remains stuck in deception, self-deception, and self-justification as well. So regarding applying forgiveness, we saw this on Thursday, even though he died for the sins of the whole world, according to 1 John 2, verse 2, the Lord said, unless people believe in him, they will die in their sins. Now, how is that possible? In fact, for years, this kind of, you know, confused me a bit. How is that possible? The Lord died for the sins of the whole world, including all unbelievers, and yet, they're going to die in their sins if they don't believe in Him? Well, this kind of, I think, ties these things together. Uh, go to 1 John 2, verse 2. 1 John 2, verse 2. If people refuse God's offer, their free will is honored by God, and forgiveness will not be applied to them even though their sins were paid for at the cross. So this relates to us as well. When we, when we apply forgiveness to other people, this is maybe, maybe the, the prime example. Again, on the board, even though he died for the sins of the whole world, the Lord said, unless people believe in him, they will die in their sins. So 1 John 2, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That just means he satisfied the debt of our sins. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So there we see the price has been paid for the sins of the whole world. The debt has been paid by the blood of Christ. But then in John 8, we see sins being brought up regarding salvation. Go to John 8, 21. The Gospel of John. John 8, verse 21. Again, if people refuse God's offer, He's going to still honor their free will. And forgiveness will not be applied to them even though their sins were paid for at the cross. John eight twenty one. Then he said again to them, I go away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, Surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. And Jesus was saying to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, 
you will die in your sins. Again, someone has to accept forgiveness to be forgiven. Someone has to repent and ask for that forgiveness before they can be forgiven. Application-wise, why? Free will should be honored. So on the board, regarding, again, repentance for forgiveness, this is why the Lord said in the beginning of His ministry, repent and believe the gospel. That's part of the process. Repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1.15, the fullness of the gospel. And Paul followed suit in his pattern of giving the gospel in Acts 20.21 when he preached repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if someone's not willing, like the unwilling slave, if someone's not willing to repent, they're going to be stuck. They're not going to be able to receive forgiveness, or in his case, give it. So there can be no applied forgiveness without a repentant heart because God won't violate the heart of an individual. He gives true freedom of choice to his creatures. So changing gears a bit, in love, we are to help others realize that they've sinned against us, if they have. So they can come to a place of repentance in their own hearts. We are told in the Bible to take action to help continue that flow of God's love. Even if you're the innocent party, if you're, if you're the one that's been wronged, we're told out of love to take action, to reach out with God's love, to restore a relationship as long as it's possible with you. And in Romans chapter 12, we get a view of a forgiving heart the way God wants us to think. Go to Romans 12, verse 17. Here we get a view of a forgiving heart and the way God wants us to think. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible... So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. In other words, sometimes people are going to reject your peace offering, right? Just like unbelievers reject God's peace offering, whichever party you are. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If if someone rejects it, that's their problem, and you should pray for them because they're going to have problems in their own heart and in their own soul and in their own life. So as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. See, it doesn't say to hold bitterness against even your enemy. What does it say? Do exactly what he doesn't respect. Show him the love of Christ. When Christ was on the cross with the very people in front of him that nailed the spikes into his hands and feet, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's feeding somebody, even though they're your enemy. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean get a shovel and literally heap burning coals on his head? Start a charcoal fire? Cook first, dump them on top. Get your enemy back. Obviously not, right? It's referring to the conscience and how his conscience will burn within him when you treat him in this kind of unconditional love that is foreign to this world. So treat your enemy nicely like this in kindness and watch God work in his conscience. And then verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't live in your old nature. Live in your new nature. Overcome evil with good, which God has empowered you to do through Christ in you.
So on the board, the heart of God is to restore the broken. The worst of the broken. If it's Jesus, you can let him in. <laughs> Thanks, Don. Hey, maybe it's a lost soul that needs to hear this message. The heart of God is to restore the broken. It's always to restore the broken. That's God's heart always. I mean, in the face of the worst person you know, in, in the face of a murderer, God's heart is always to restore the broken. So long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. After all, God reached down to us, didn't he? We're the guilty party. We're the guilty sinners. He didn't sit up in heaven wait, waiting until we turned to him. He reached down to us. He took action. He brought a peace offering to us. And it came in the form of his son, the Lamb of God. But he didn't wait. The innocent party approached the guilty party. All of us listening right now. We should imitate him, right? Reach out to others, even if you're the innocent one, even if you think you're the innocent one. By the way, you might not be the innocent one, even though you think you're the innocent one. You've all heard the saying, there's three sides to every story. There's yours, there's the other person's, and then there's the truth. So don't assume that you're always (laughs) the innocent party, even though maybe you were hurt in certain ways, or maybe just maybe, You hurt them in certain ways, and you're ignoring it, because that's what we do. So again, on the board, the heart of God is to restore the broken. So long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. He reached down to us, the guilty party, and we should do the same, imitating his love. The important thing is to have the proper attitude about forgiveness And be in the sphere of love, as the Lord always was. Be in the sphere of love, as the Lord always was. Welcome. That's the important thing. Look on the board here, regarding the attitude of forgiveness. We have no right to hold back the limitless love of God as He forgave us without limits. Pure, simple truth, isn't it, on the board? Why do we complicate forgiveness? Why do we rationalize forgiveness? Maybe I don't have to do it because of this, right? Maybe I don't need to really reach out and approach that person for some stupid reason in my own soul. Look how simple it is on the board. We have no right to hold back the limitless love of God as he forgave us without limits. That's the simple truth. Now, of course, sometimes our faith lacks, right? Sometimes our faith is weak, and we need to go to the Lord and ask Him for more faith, just like the apostles did. So that's fine. That's perfectly fine. God always welcomes the humble heart. He's like, okay, if you can't forgive right now, come to me. Come to me. Be humble and tell me. Admit it. Get on your knees before me, and I will teach you as if Jesus was standing right next to you. Go to him. Be like, Lord, teach me this. I just can't get it in my soul. So if we lack faith, even regarding forgiveness, go to him. Now back to how and when to apply forgiveness to another person and the need for repentance. First of all, forgiveness should always be given in one's own heart. First and foremost, forgiveness must always be applied in your own heart. There's never a time that God doesn't want us to give it over to Him and forgive somebody from your heart. That time doesn't exist. Okay, Maybe you're not supposed to approach somebody in certain circumstances, but in your own heart, that is the first thing that must be surrendered. And you must submit to God in that way, because that's what He tells you to do. That's His command. So, let's talk about applying forgiveness directly towards the person who sinned against us on the board. 
Repentance is what triggers the act of forgiveness by the one who loves God. Repentance is what triggers the act of forgiveness by the one who loves God. Go again to Matthew 18, verse 26. Back to our main parable. Matthew 18, 26. And we've been on this parable all week, um, as some of you know, but um, we're just going to touch on a couple things here as we keep going this path. Matthew 18, 26. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. So there again we see repentance of the slave triggered forgiveness of the debt by the Lord. As we've learned recently, parables are designed to make one or two major points to us. And we've got to be careful to not over-examine parables and read things into them that aren't necessarily there. So that is one of the main points right there of this parable for us. But we've also learned to keep the Lord's parables in context. What's the context of the parable? Why is he saying this to this, this group of people right now? Context is key as we read our Bibles. So the parable in Matthew 18 on forgiveness is preceded by some instructions on what to do when your brother sins against you. So let's keep this in context. It involves repentance, even. So go look back at Matthew 18, verse 15. This is the context. This is what was stated and taught by the Lord before he went into this parable. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth you shall, uh, shall have been loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For with two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in your midst. Now all of that preceded what Peter said in verse 21. Look at verse 21. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And that's when the Lord went into this parable on forgiving the slave. So the Lord first gave instructions about approaching the brother who sins against you. Why did he do that? Why not just forgive the guilty party in your heart and move on with your life? Right? After all, if you do forgive them in your heart truly, then you're set free, and that's what you should do. But why this approaching of the brother who sinned against you? So I'm going to quote uh, William McDonald here, as we saw on Thursday. The answer is that there are there are stages in the administration of forgiveness as follows. Number one, when a brother wrongs me or sins against me, I should forgive him immediately in my heart. Ephesians 4.32 That frees me from a bitter, unforgiving spirit and leaves the matter on his shoulders. For example, he's the one that wronged you, right? So he's got to deal with that with God too. But in your heart, you should immediately forgive the person that wrongs you. Go to Ephesians 4. Let's see this verse again. Verse 31. Ephesians 4.31. And again, folks, don't forget, this is about freedom. God is trying to set us free. And we're the ones that get in the way. We're the ones that block His love. We're the ones that block forgiveness, and we're hindering freedom on the part of all of us. 
or whoever's involved in the disagreement. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So again, the point on the board, when a brother wrongs me or sins against me, I should forgive him immediately in my heart. That frees me from a bitter, unforgiving spirit and leaves the matter on his shoulders. Then Mr. McDonald says, while I have forgiven him in my heart, I do not yet tell him that he is forgiven. It would not be righteous to administer public forgiveness until he has repented. So I am obligated to go to him and rebuke him in love, hoping to lead him to confession. Luke 17.3 Again, while I have forgiven him in my heart, I do not yet tell him that he is forgiven. It would not be righteous to administer forgiveness publicly until he has repented. So I am obligated to go to him and rebuke him in love, not in I told you so, in love, hoping to lead him to confession. And then finally he says, as soon as he apologizes and confesses his sin, I tell him that he is forgiven. Luke 17, 4. So this is a very important process. There's, it's a healing process for both parties to get the, the maximum out of it, if you will, to get, to get everything 100% clean and free, right? And to let God's love flow fully without any hindrances. Go to Luke 17, verse 3. Let's just read this passage again. But again, it's a must. It's a must to forgive somebody if they repent. You don't have a choice. And if you, re- if you are unwilling to forgive somebody that repents, you've got problems in your heart. You've got issues you've got to go to God with because you're going to be under discipline, severe discipline, if you refuse to pass on the mercy that you were shown by God. Luke 17, 3 through 4. Jesus said, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. It's pretty clear instructions, isn't it? And I love how the Lord starts this with, be on your guard. I mean, that's like a serious, that's a warning, that's an alert, right? Maybe it's don't let anything hinder your fellowship as brothers in Christ. Don't let the devil get between you and the other person. I mean, there's scripture for that too. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. So there is repentance by the guilty party that's required before forgiveness is granted publicly. As McDonald said, That's the righteous way to do it. So I hope that clears up the proper way to approach forgiveness. First in your heart, which is a must, and then to the individual, as long as it depends on you. And the Spirit will guide each of us. If we're humble, that's the big caveat. If we're humble, the Spirit will guide us in how to do it in our own lives. Now, back to our main emphasis, which is the need to willingly grant forgiveness and mercy from the heart to allow God's love to flow through us fully. Look at Matthew 18, verse 29. We're doing pretty good on time. Thank God I got something I want to get to before we close. Matthew 18, 29. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. 
the unwillingly, or rather the unwilling heart, is a hard heart. The opposite of the one who's willingly humble. We talked about this on Thursday on the board. The evil of the flesh. Our sin nature is so pure evil, and it does it in the subtlest ways. It even tries to look good while it's being evil. When our brother comes up to us asking for forgiveness with a repentant heart, it is evil in God's eyes to reject him. That's when our own hearts need repentance. And God will see to it that we see our error. As in Matthew 18, 35. He'll do what it takes to wake you up from your lack of mercy. As the Bible tells us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. In Galatians 6, 7. If you and I hold back forgiveness, you're going to have forgiveness held back from you. So says the word of God, even from God the Father, as we will see. You will reap what you sow. And regarding the evil of the flesh, you know, people think of obvious things as evil, like murder. We know that's evil. How many people realize that Holding back forgiveness in your own heart is evil in God's eyes. Pure evil. And yet you could look the part, you could act religious, you could say you forgive somebody, you could act like you forgive somebody, right? Let's keep everything kosher and, you know, let's all be friends. Maybe you want to look spiritual in front of other people. But God knows the heart. And if you don't forgive someone from the heart, it's pure evil in God's eyes. That's, the, that's one of the most evil things the flesh can do. Because you're holding back the very love and mercy that he freely cast upon you for all your sins. And you're holding it back from someone else for one sin. It's ridiculous. But that's the flesh. So may it never be with us. Let's go into a few passages on forgiveness. Go to Proverbs 19, verse 11. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Let's just see what the Scripture says. You know, sit back, take it in. See what the Spirit's saying to you today. I mean, we all go through different life circumstances, and He has an amazing way of working all these things together for good for each of us. Proverbs 19.11 A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. You want God to look down on you and smile? It's to your glory to overlook a transgression. Not keep score. Look at the heart in that verse. Look at the heart. Don't look at the words, okay? Just look at the heart. What's the attitude of this person to overlook a transgression? It's grace. It's grace and forgiveness and mercy toward a fellow sinner. If we focus on being the right person, being in Christ, we will have a forgiving heart and be willing, willingly humble to overlook a transgression. But it's back to humility and realizing how much God has forgiven us. You forget that, you're going to be a mess. You're going to be confused. Now let's look at a passage on how forgiveness is a heart issue. Go to Matthew 5, verse 21. Matthew 5, 21. And here we see being angry with our brother in our heart is equated to being guilty of murder. And, you know, Jesus said this, so don't look at me. God looks at the heart, right? Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing... Should be, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, 
And whoever says you fool, you fool shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. That's God's viewpoint. I don't know what to tell you. He's equating it to murder. And <laughs> anger in your own heart toward the brother is deserving of hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown in prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you've paid up the last cent. Does that sound familiar? That was the end of our parable in Matthew 18, right? He'll be handed over to the torturers until he pays up the last cent. So God takes this seriously. Lack of forgiveness. If you don't have a repentant heart, you're going to end up reaping what you sow. You're going to end up suffering in your own soul. Per the grace of God, by the way. We must be quick to apologize and repent to others, lest the process catch up with us. Let me ask you this. What's the only thing that prevents you from apologizing to someone? What is it? Arrogance, isn't it? Isn't it? Pride? You can point to that till the cows come home. Anytime you're resisting apologizing, even though you know you should, you actually have to humble yourself to go over there and apologize. So it's pride to call it out for what it is. Throw it in the garbage, you know, because it's, it's foolishness. And God's like, I want peace. Just go up there like a little kid and say, I'm sorry, you know. And that kind of childlike faith, that type of humility is what he loves. And that's how we pass on his love and mercy to others because we were just as guilty. How quickly we forget that. So as we've been noting in this series, it's to our own harm if we don't act in humility. Whether we're the one that needs to forgive or we're the one that needs to repent. On the board, once again, humility is the key. These are issues of humility, folks, on both sides of the aisle. By the guilty party in repentance and by the innocent party in offering true forgiveness. Without humility and realizing our place before the judge, none of this beauty and healing takes place, and the flow of God's love is hindered. How long has the Spirit been telling us humility is the key to the spiritual life? Years. Our pride and arrogance is the only thing that gets in the way of us maturing and having the faith of a child and living in the sphere of love, enjoying life, not caring about even what's going on around us. Humility is the key. Again on the board, these are issue of hum issues of humility on both sides of the aisle, by the guilty party in repentance and by the innocent party in offering true forgiveness. Without humility and realizing our place before the judge, none of this beauty and healing takes place, and the flow of God's love is hindered. So just get out of the way. Have the faith of a child. Stop being a stubborn, arrogant mule. That's the very polite Sunday morning way to say it, right? Go to Matthew 6, verse 9. <clears throat> Matthew 6, verse 9. I wonder when a mule started to be calling a jackass. Is that the real name, or they adapt that name because of how stubborn the animal was? I don't know. Anyway, look at Matthew 6, 9. And this is the Lord now instructing the apostles and the disciples how to pray. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now look at verse 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. We reap what we sow. We're accountable to the Father. And this is very serious to Him. So on the board regarding passing on forgiveness, this is so important to the heart of God that even though He's already forgiven our sins positionally at the cross, He will not forgive our sins experientially in terms of sanctifying us if we don't forgive others. Again, We know He's forgiven our sins at the cross. The sins of the whole world. And when we trust in Him from the heart for salvation, He saves us. And we're going to heaven by the grace of God. Thank God for that. But now He's working something out in our souls and He's trying to bring Himself glory in this world through us. We have this unique temporary opportunity on this earth. And forgiveness is a huge issue to growing up and to bringing Him glory. So again, this is so important to the heart of God that even though He's already forgiven us positionally at the cross, He will not forgive our sins experientially in terms of sanctifying us if we don't forgive others. I mean, this is what the Word of God says, right? Look again at verse 15. But if you don't forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And here's the thing, He can't. Because he honors free will. He's going to honor, honor your stubbornness and your pride. He's going to let you have your free will choice to not forgive others. He's not going to force you to do so. So God honors free will. He gives people space. Space to grow in his endless mercy and patience with us, right? But even when we're stubborn and refusing Him and resisting Him, He honors that free will. So again, on the board, regarding passing on forgiveness, experiential sanctification is hindered by our lack of faith and lack of love. And this is seen in lack of forgiveness. And so God must hold us accountable. And though it will pain us, It's part of His grace plan to complete the good work in us. If you're a believer, He's still for you. But He's going to apply discipline if it's needed because it's for your own benefit and the benefit of others in your life. He's always trying to complete that good work in us and if it has to be the hard way and you require it be the hard way, all right. A loving Father, that's what He does. But he's saying, will you come along the easy way, my son? Will you stop lying to me and disobeying my commands? So I have to put you in time out. So I have to spank you. You know, we're making the parent-child analogy, right? If any of you have had more than one child, there's a good chance you had the disobedient one and the obedient one as illustrations of learning the hard way and someone who learns the easy way. Goes back to the faith of a child, though. Go to Ephesians 4, verse 25. A few more verses on forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. That's where lack of forgiveness, he sneaks in right there. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, 
forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Go to Colossians 3, verse 12. This is why every day we need to live in our salvation. Every day we need to recall what we've been forgiven of and how Christ was sacrificed to God as an offering on our behalf. If that doesn't humble you, then nothing will. But usually when you think of that again, if you take the time to think about that again every day, you're going to have the right mindset of mercy. Colossians 3.12 So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. God wants us to be in the sphere of love at all times. Just be. We've been talking about sanctification. It's not about doing in the sense of trying to work your way there on your own power. It's about being in what Christ has given you. And that's what sets us free to just live a life of love. And guess what? If you live a life of love, everything else comes easy. Forgiveness comes easy. Mercy comes easy. Um, Whatever. Love solves everything. Love never fails. So that's the first part of this series, which took us four days to complete. And we have one day left. So this will be interesting on Tuesday. But before we get to Tuesday, I just want to read our second main passage that spurned this uh, topic here about hindering God's love. Go to Matthew 5, verse 38. Again, our topic has been hindering God's love hinders your sanctification as well. And boy, do we just see that, where God doesn't forgive your sins if you don't forgive the sins of another. But here's the second major passage that was put on my heart as far as this, this subject. Matthew five thirty eight. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Because he, your Father, causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the unbelievers, do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect or mature as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So that's what we're going to pick it up on Tuesday. Another example of not hindering God's love and God's viewpoint on on the matter. And all we have to do is look to Christ himself, right? Think of how he treated his enemies with grace and mercy. How he fed them. How he gave them a drink, if you will, even though they were his enemies. So we have a unique opportunity, folks. And you know what? God supplies the power. You're saying, I can't do this. You're 
very right, you can't do this. But God supplies the power to the humble person, to the one that lives in the faith of a child. And you will do miraculous things in the way you treat people because you're humble, because you go to him and treat others with the same mercy you've been treated. It's that simple. So on that note, let me show you a video, and then we'll close in prayer.
Father, we thank you again for your show of grace and mercy in your word and in your actions through your perfect Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would each comprehend fully what your forgiveness means and that we would pass that on with, our, with joy in our hearts. For without you, we know we're nothing. Father, if anyone is listening right now who has not yet accepted your offer of forgiveness, we ask that you show them their need to repent of their sinfulness. We are all sinners, guilty before our God and Creator, and we all need a Savior. So right now, in your own heart, you can tell God that you repent, that you turn from your sin and turn to Christ to save you. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. But it's between you and the Lord. If anyone has decided in their heart to trust in Christ today, we want to welcome you to the family of God. You are now an adopted child of God taken into his family permanently and forever by his grace. Father, we ask that you help us live one day at a time by your word and treat one another with the same grace and love that you treated us. We ask for healing for those who are sick and for traveling mercies for all of us as we go on our way. And help us bring your word and your truth out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you.